Welcome back to World on Drugs, everybody. I am your host, Steve Fury, and we got another banger on our hands. This episode is actually going to be a two-parter. It might be a little solo dolo episode, just me, myself, I, and you. We're going to go deep into uh, Poland. Bet you didn't see that coming. Just going real deep into Poland. We're going to do two uh, episodes on this one. They're all about the Polish criminal underground. And honestly, from the research I've been doing and my guy Patrick with a Y, um, it's pretty trippy, man. It's a pretty trippy place. You know, I don't really ever think of Poland. I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of get lost in my dislike for Russia and, you know, the general malaise for Germany. I don't really give a fuck about them. They're kind of in the middle, I feel like. But uh, due to, uh, from what I understand, the world wars and all that kind of stuff, they have allowed uh, criminality to get into most uh, parts of their government. And it's some pretty interesting sh- stuff. And Steve, 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 why don't you have a guest this week? That's because we got my guy Patrick Grazewicks. Uh, G-R-A-Z-E-W-I-C-Z. My man is from where? Straight up Poland. And as you know, I try to get people a little bit related to the topic. So my man has been able to um, do the kind of research that uh, no one I know can because he speaks um, Polish. I don't know what it is. Um, And he speaks that. So that's where I do it. Also, I'm not going to lie. The main reason is, as you guys know, I've been teasing the old... uh, Hawaiian Gardens app for uh, quite a long time now, and I was supposed to record it with the police officer, but uh, COVID's a real bitch, and it's making everyone sick, and he can't take off the time to do it, so got to do a little emergency pod, little emergency pod, little Polish underground from about the 40s to the 1990, and then from 1990 on, we go into what's happening recently. That'll be a different episode. Uh, but yeah, so so that's what we're gonna do. This one's gonna be a lot more information, but it's pretty good. Um, it's very interesting, man, to see, just to see <laughs> how crime infiltrates every part of this world. How it seems like our fucking world is on drugs because nothing makes sense. So shout out to Patrick Grazewicks. Uh, I want to know how to say his last name perfect, but you know, not Polish. Don't understand the. The, a lot of W's, C's, and Z's. They use a lot of the end of the alphabet. Never really my strong point. So let's do a little synopsis. Poland under the communist regime was a weird place where a line between underworld and law enforcement wasn't really existing. People were illegally dealing dollars like drugs on the street. The economic situation was so dire that smuggling from the West became a new normal. Many sought opportunities to stealing foreign cars, um... There's kind of groups of friends that would steal stuff, and then a lot of times those turned into organized gangs, all of it under a blind eye of the government and police. It's not surprising, though, because the Ministry of Interior was heavily involved in crime as well. Polish intelligence agency, kind of like their CIA, was funding its own operations by forcing Polish petty criminals living in the West to do robberies and heists and smuggle goods to Poland. And these goods were often stolen again and again by administration officers and even well-known politicians. These stories help to better understand what came next in the 90s during one of the craziest and fastest world economic transformations from communism to capitalism. Wild West of Europe with its own Yuma. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about. Pretty interesting stuff, man. These guys, uh, you know, it's kind of we've seen it a lot of times. Uh, they start in a place of necessity, you know. Their whole uh, economy had died, so they need to steal stuff and do stuff. And then from there, necessity turns into greed, and then they get what happens in the 90s. So how has my week win been? Um, Kind of fucking gnarly, man. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <sighs> uh, good news is we're moving this bad boy to the comedy store finally the last work week of September. They're build, rebuilding the studio. Things going to get all banged up. I'm trying. I'm going to see if I can just push um, that episode, the Hawaiian Gardens episode, to the comedy store to restart the uh, podcast at the comedy store. What does that mean for everyone else? Well, I think uh, this is going to be season one. We're going to have two more episodes in season one. Probably this one. I would like to do the next Polish Republic one. And then I would honestly like to do maybe a small episode, uh, if I can, in between there. All about fentanyl. Um, so people can actually learn what's going on with that and what's happening. Because uh, the reason my week was kind of shitty was because I had uh, four, three coworkers die. And one, uh, I believe, is paralyzed. Um, when I say co-workers, as you know, I'm a stand-up comedian, so they're all, you know, everyone, every comedian's a co-worker. No, but these guys were L.A. comics that I somewhat knew. Definitely the woman, Kate Quigley. It was a guy named Fuquan, Vinny, Kate, and a couple other people that didn't do comedy. So Kate Quigley was a comedian that I had, um, uh, you know, multiple times. It's, a you know, someone you work with. Did we hang out? Odd out of work? No. But if we were on the same job, did we get lunch before or after? Yeah, all the time. And um, what happened is they all got a bag of cocaine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. If you don't do it too much or you don't, and you do it only to celebrate something or once in a while, um, they all do a rail, as one does. You know, a bunch of your friends hanging out, L.A., Friday night. Uh, they do a rail. Kate says she did a bump. Um... Kate wakes up three or four hours later, can't feel her legs, looks around, everyone's dead. Um, and Kate can't feel her legs and goes to the hospital, and I believe she's still in the hospital. Um, so, and then two days later, what happens to Michael K. Williams? If you're a fan of this podcast, you probably love The Wire. If you haven't seen The Wire yet, what are you, fucking moron? He's Omar. Uh, he died from an overdose of fentanyl in heroin. I would never suggest doing heroin, obviously. Cocaine, I don't really suggest either. It's not that great. But it's just um, really scary out there, man. So make sure you're safe. Um, buy fentanyl strips to test. But, you know, I don't even know that one because, you know, if you don't know what fentanyl is, it's essentially super heroin. So if I wanted to bring in, you know, $2 million worth of heroin, I would need quite a lot of space. Okay, kind of like we're back in the day when drug smugglers, they all started with marijuana from Mexico, right? They're bringing in marijuana and airplanes and making money. But then they see that uh, a whole sh a whole, a whole plane of marijuana equals the same of probably two or three bricks of cocaine. So then they start bringing in on cocaine. Same thing is happening with fentanyl. Now, fentanyl, you, if you have a baseball size, eh, a little bit bigger, a little softball size of fentanyl, that's about $2.5 million from what I'm reading and the research I'm doing. So... Whereas if you need $2.5 million of uh, normal heroin, it's quite a lot more. So they're bringing that in, and they're splicing it up in tiny little bits and putting it in fake Oxycontins, those little blue pills with the M's. Don't buy those. And then they're putting it, um, 
for some fucking reason to cocaine. I don't know why you'd put into cocaine. Uh, it's a opiate, so it's a downer. Cocaine is an upper. So if I ever got a bag of cocaine and then went to sleep, not really the goal there. Don't really understand why they're doing it, but um, they are. So, and you know, the fentanyl strips, I don't know what to say about that because you essentially, you take a piece of your cocaine, you put the fentanyl in there or the uh, strip in there and you test it and then you look and see if it's okay. But that thing's only testing a little piece of the your drugs. So, so what are you even going to do, man? So, yeah, I would just suggest not doing anything for quite a long time. You know, this could, uh, this could change a lot of things, you know? You know, recreational drug users, me, I like to do a drug once a month. You know, switch it up from a molly. Maybe I'll do cocaine. Maybe I'll do something else. It's like, I'm out, man. I'm out for a while. Uh, I am going to Life is Beautiful next week. It is a um, music festival in Las Vegas. I uh, will be getting, but I got a guy. I'm, I'm going to get some molly from him and some acid and do that. But uh, I know it's safe because he does it. But it's just, um, man, imagine that, dude. Imagine you just have a Friday night with your friends, four or five of your good friends. You know, you're, you don't invite strangers over your house to do blow. You're doing cocaine with four or five of your friends. You're probably going to have a good night. And you hit it. You go to sleep and everyone's dead. Damn, bro. Damn. And, you know, me being an ex, uh, you know, drug dealer, not a, like a real one. I sold like weed and some Norcos and stuff. Um, the guy who sold them that fentanyl, he just got three uh, murders and an attempted murder. And, you know, when people are, like, going after, probably going to go after him or, you know, they went after the guy who uh, sold Mac Miller those bad pills. But I don't think it's those guys putting in fentanyl. I don't think fentanyl's that easy to get. Okay? So if people on the East Coast, like Michael K. Williams, and then people on the West Coast, like my, you know, coworker, friends, acquaintances, acquaintances, are getting it, then that means it's coming from somewhere higher. Okay? And now from the research I've been doing back in the day, a couple of years ago, fentanyl, as you can see from um, one of those Chinese guy episodes, not the uh, Zenly, not the Zenly one we just did. One of the first ones I did about, oh man, I can't even remember the guy's name, but one of the first guys, um, he was from China. He was bringing in fentanyl. But now from what I understand, the uh, cartels are cutting those guys out and they're making their own fentanyl. And... Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. To do, I mean, I don't really like cocaine that much. It's not like I do it all the time. I probably do it once a month, and I don't buy it that often. Um, but it's like, how do you even do it now when you know people died off of it? It's like a slap in the face to the people that you knew. Or you're like walking around with fentanyl strips. It's like, why are you even doing something you have to do fentanyl strips for? I don't know, man. It's been kind of a fucked up week. Like, you know, I'm not going to pretend these people were my best friends in the world, but definitely friends. Eh, acquaintances. I mean, Kate was cool, man. We were cool. We hung out, had drinks before. I just hope she is okay, man. I couldn't imagine the kind of pressure I would be under where all my friends died and now I'm fucking paralyzed. Could you imagine, dog? Could you imagine that? I couldn't. I would probably kill myself. I don't think I could handle uh, doing that. 
you know, you could say, well, they shouldn't have done what? They shouldn't have got one bag of cocaine between five people on a Friday? Something's got to change, man. As we've seen with the war on drugs, it's not people should stop doing drugs. People have been doing drugs since they're in fucking Aztecs doing ayahuasca and mushrooms. What needs to happen is, honestly, what needs to happen is we need to legalize drugs so that we're not putting it in the hands of people on a fucking street or cartels. And then it needs to go from there. You know, you start legalizing things. It's not as a faux, faux pas to use anymore. Kids don't want to use it anymore, you know. You know. I mean, kids should never use cocaine. That's not really what I'm talking about. But I mean, like when you legalize weed, you know, this is my also my theory, too, is like, you know, everyone wants to do something when you get a little. You got a little extra money, you got a little extra time on your hands, you want to celebrate. Back in the day, a couple years ago, you'd smoke a little weed. That felt naughty. You're doing something bad. Now that weed's legal, people go, okay, I'm doing cocaine. Now the cocaine will kill you. One line will kill you. And my, <laughs> this is, I tried to make a joke out of it, but it's a lot. To me, cocaine is just like COVID. Like the fentanyl is just like COVID. Because we've all heard about well, it's like COVID deniers, you know, because we all heard about people being fentanyl and drugs and they're dying. And you're like, I never met nobody. Same with COVID, you know, back in the day, you know, a year ago, everyone's like, people are getting sick. People are dying. You're like, I never met no motherfucker that died. I never met anybody that's hurt a lot more. But then we jump a year and ahead. My girl's an ICU nurse at Cedars. People are dying every day. Now they're in shape and they're dying and they're doing all this crazy shit. And it's kind of like fentanyl now. It's like, now, four people I know and one of my favorite actors died. <sighs> wild stuff, man. Wild, wild stuff. So, you know, I'm probably going to try and do a fentanyl. That's going to happen, a fentanyl episode. Uh, try to do the history of it, where it came from, why did it start. It started as a cancer medication. They have them. There's a, a really great, uh, well, not great. But <laughs> that's such a sicko thing. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably a pretty big fan of intervention. So there's one of those old interventions where the fentanyl, it, 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 it's mainly for um, um, cancer patients. They used to come in these weird. I never had one. I, I like opiates, but I never did heroin. Um, I never did uh, extremely hard opiates. Um, I took a quarter of a green bean one time, which were the old school 80 milligram oxys, and I just threw up everywhere. It's, I, so I was out on that. I do like to take, uh, you know, if I can get a hand on like some Percocet once in a while. My buddy just had some. He uh, got his teeth done, and he gave me a couple few. That was good, but I would never suggest buying those. That's why I stopped buying those because those were the ones. To me, that makes sense, okay? If you're a guy who's like, how do I get these oxycontins and roxycontins and Percocets? Well, the government is making it harder and harder for you to get a script. So then you're like, okay. Because the way they do it when they make these pills is, I don't know back in the day if any of y'all ever took ecstasy back in the day. But you get these little pills. They used to have like a little Pikachu on it. Or you used to call smackers. You used to have like an Xbox symbol. Well, those weren't from some factory somewhere. Well, those were as you can buy a pill press. It's kind of a cool looking thing. Um, it's very old school. Um, it uh, looks like a piston. Okay, piston. And then you kind of, you go, you like a bike crank it and it goes, and you can put under the piston, um, whatever shape you want the pill and whatever little thing you can buy these little things off the dark web and you'll, and that's how you make a, 
um, Xbox smackers, triple stacks, dub stacks back in the day. And what they would do is they would take, uh, they would somehow get the molly, and a lot of times they would mix in maybe a little speed, maybe some people would say heroin, but I don't know. And they'd mix them into these, into these little pills, and then you go, and you buy them, you take them, blah, 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 blah. Well, what they started doing is they started buying the little cases to make it look like a Percocet or look like a Norco. And what they would do is I can't get those things, but I know people that want to buy them. So they go, okay, I'll get it f- the fentanyl. I'll cut it up. I'll sprinkle it out, sift it, try and make it any of these things. So that's how people were dying off those all the time. And it was a huge problem for a very, very long time. And it still is a problem. But for some reason, it has now gone into cocaine and other drugs, I guess. Um, I just don't understand why. You know, it's like I said, when you're making the fake pills, you're making a fake 80 milligram Oxycontin that you can sell for $150. You're like, okay, I can't get this, but I can put a little fentanyl in it. It'll do the same thing. Makes sense. This is a downer way to open the podcast. But, dude, this shit has been fucking up my head, man. My cousin just passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, We kind of grew up together in a sense. Like, you know, I hang out with him every couple weeks. Uh, Growing up. Just the worst kid ever. <laughs> it was just, he would get his cousin Ryan, or his brother Ryan, in trouble all the time. And for nothing, we would just all be hanging out. Ryan was a little closer to my age. Matt was like four or five years younger than me. You know, four or five years, that's a decent amount growing up. You know, you're kind of, you're not even in high school at the same time. And Matt would just run and tell his dad, hey, Ryan hit me. His dad would come and fucking smack the shit out of Ryan. And I was always like, God damn. Well, uh, his name was Matt. He kind of drifted away, did his own thing for a while, and he, his cousin walked in, or his roommate walked in on him a couple weeks ago, and he was uh, dead, been dead for a while. Um, I didn't ask, you know, you know, I, I didn't talk to the guy for a while. Honestly, I wouldn't put that on me. The guy just grew up to kind of be this spiteful little kid. His dad passed away, or not kid, but he grew up to be this kind of, just not, not a fun guy to hang out with. What, 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 just because someone's my family member, I have to say they're fun to hang out with. It wasn't that fun. So when he passed away, uh, you know, people are saying, oh, it's probably his diabetes. His diabetes, he wasn't taking care of it. Most likely the man took fentanyl in a pill. Probably took a, got a cheap Oxycontin or Roxy, those blue ones with the M on them. And uh, took it and then, and then died in his sleep. But, you know, I can't say, I mean, the man was, 27 years old so it's not i mean i think he but his brother didn't do uh they both i don't know they're both scared of needles and they both had uh diabetes so his brother went blind because he fucking didn't do his diabetes but his brother's okay his brother i mean you know his brother's a little goofy going up but he grew up and to be a, a really great guy married someone having a great a baby um he uh fucking blind because he didn't stick up on his <laughs> diabetes medication but he grew up into a good guy and this in match is kind of you know he's off-putting it's rude. Would rat on people. But he died in his uh, bed. So, you know, people, I'm not going to go ask, hey, what was, the, what was the toxicology on that guy? You know, it's a fucking weird thing to ask. But I think he just, I would guess fentanyl probably got him too. So that was two, three weeks ago. Then this happened. Just be careful, man. Definitely don't take any opiates unless you get them from a friend and it's from like a script bottle. Like my buddy, he had to get his teeth worked on, so he gave me a couple. That was a great night, um, but I—I I mean, that was—I can't get any more, so it's done. But it's out here fucking murdering people, dog. 
Um, okay, so how has my life been other than that? I'm not really a good at addressing my feelings. I kind of a lot of times just let him blow over and then I come out the other end. And I, I, I think I've been a little off, you know, but a lot of people died in my life, to be honest with you. I mean, I remember from 18 to 24, it was like 12 or 13 people that were my friends, family, or people I were dating died. And, uh, you know, man, you just, I don't like to think about this stuff. So have I been doing okay? My life itself has been pretty good, man. I really, really can't complain. Um, since moving in with my girlfriend, it's been great. You know, no real fights, maybe a bicker here and there. Comedy store has been giving me, uh, been getting a lot of main rooms now, man. Those fucking main rooms. There is nothing on this planet I like to do more than go on a main room. Later at night. I remember, I, th- I don't know if I talked about it last week, but I opened last week, and I'm just not an opening guy. I'm not anymore. I mean, I, I switched it up. You know, I didn't do all my crazy jokes. I mean, what, am I crazy? No, I'm not that crazy. But I didn't do jokes about, you know, stuff that goes a little bit later at night. Did the Mexican supermarket stuff. It's okay, but it's just not fun. Also, I don't like doing comedy at 8 o'clock, and then I have to hang out there, and it's only 8.30, and no one's there. I like going late, man. Give me that 10.30, 11 main room spot. Crowd's a little dead. You go in there, pow, punch them in the fucking mouth, pow, punch them again, wake them up, tell them some jokes about some stuff they haven't heard. It's fun. It is It is. It is a place I feel completely oddly enough comfortable i almost honestly i feel less comfortable in the or that's the original room smaller room about a buck 80 but by the time i go up there's like you know 25 30 people in there um i don't know why i feel that way but it's kind of just like i would explain it to you if you're not in this industry that it's like you ever been with a group of friends or you got that one girl or that one friend I don't know why my nose is running. I just went, uh, just did a six-mile walk, but I haven't done anything bad in a very long time. I think I'm just allergic to y'all's bullshit. So it's like kind of when you get with a friend or a girl or a group of friends, you feel comfortable. You know what I mean? And you're like, you're like saying jokes and they're working, so it allows you to build momentum and space and, and, and enthusiasm. And you're just like, fuck, man. These people like me. I like them. It just feels comfortable to perform my, I mean, you're just talking to people, so it's not an art, but, you know. Your thing. And that's the way I feel in the main room. Um, I got to stop snorting on the podcast. People complain. No one complained about the burps, though. <sighs> so, you know, that's been pretty good. We're going to get the uh, Hawaiian Gardens podcast out soon. Oh, man, Bear City, dude. I don't know, man. If you come out, I've been having the show Bear City in Long Beach for about four or five years. Bring with my buddy Trevor Hill. And it's been a godsend my whole career in L.A. Um, I knew every Wednesday I could go to Long Beach to a show in Pack Place. Great comics, all this kind of stuff. But it's just uh, this Delta thing is fucking up indoor produced shows. Like people just aren't coming. So I hope this fucking Delta doesn't kill uh, a friend of mine, this fucking <laughs> Bear City show, but it could. We're getting 25, 30 people every Wednesday, and sure, in another place that might be good, but it's not good for what we normally had, especially the level of comics I'm bringing out there. Oh, this shit, when is it going to fucking end? I'm so worried about what's going to happen this winter. 
Oh, my God. But that's not why we're in this podcast. But if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, you always know I always post that you can skip it and I put the time. So if you're listening to this, you care. So, yeah, I've been doing the, those uh, comedy store spots. have been sick. Just the best. My life has been fine. My girlfriend's been fine. Cats are cool. Hallie's great. Yes, and back to what we're going to be doing with this podcast, World on Drugs. So I got a new logo. I got a new name, kind of. It's going to be still on the same stream, but when we move to the comedy score, this is going to be season one, okay? So all the stuff of, like, the sound's never been good. Um, a lot of that stuff's going to be done. They're going to be doing the sound. The background should look good. They're going to be doing my clips, so they're going to be taking a hold of this, and I'll be changing the name to... Um, The Furious World of, that's what these podcasts are going to be under, The Furious World of Drug Dealers, Gangs, and Psychos. So, I think, why am I doing this? Okay. Number one, I think one of the big problems with this podcast not growing at the rate that I think it should. Um, also, you guys have been doing good. If you guys, you know, like, subscribe, share, comment would really help me a lot. Um, but I just don't think the name World on Drugs uh, represents what the podcast necessarily is and I mean it does but people scrolling through don't know whereas if I think I do the furious world of and then drug dealers gangs and psychos they're gonna know plus this new logo dog is so sick it's a skull on fire with four revolvers sticking out of both sides of its head grenades two like bongy meth pipes at the bottom he's got two mushrooms growing out of his head and he's got ak-47 bullets all over him it's sick it's gonna be good and also i think uh the furious world thing is now gonna encompass my new podcast which is going to be on spotify exclusively and it is going to i haven't got the name right but i've recorded three or four of the episodes it's going to be a, a music podcast uh i've talked to a few people at spotify and um if I just do it on Spotify, I can put in the songs into the podcast. Essentially, what it's going to do is it's going to have, it's almost like a radio show. It'll have me and, the, me and my guests talking, and then we'll both say the song we want to play. Then we play the song, then we talk about the song, blah, blah, blah. And the song, when it gets played through the podcast, it it's not going to be like um, the songs are in my podcast. It's going to be almost like a track. So the first track will be what we're talking about the second track will be the song so each time the song plays or my podcast plays it gives the artist money so that's what we're going to be doing i've recorded a few already and uh it's good it's really good man um if you guys like music if you want to discover new music uh it's something i uh do constantly i'm constantly searching for new music uh this this podcast will be good for you it's going to be uh almost like an interview podcast but based around people's music and the relationship with it. So that's going to be pretty good. Check out that. I'll probably have that out within a month. I want to try and back uh, log four or five or six episodes and then put them out. We did the first one with Jessica Michelle Singleton, the straight homie. That one's good. All right, guys. Man, if you're uh, going to party, do it smart. Don't buy stuff from people you don't know. Buy fentanyl patches. Buy some Narcan. You can get all these things, fentanyl, Narcan. You can get these things for cheap. Um, you know, do, don't ever do drugs alone anymore. Not that, I mean, it's weird if you were doing that anyway. And that's it, man. Stay safe, everybody. Sorry for this one being a little bit depressing. Uh, what's some stuff I got coming up? Uh, I got another main room tomorrow, but you guys can't even get on that list. Cut that shit sold out um 
At the end of the month, I'll be going to Fort Myers, Florida, doing a weekend there by myself, baby boys headlining. So if you live out there, man, come check it out. Have fun with me. Show me around. I think it's on the ocean, really close to the ocean. I kind of heard there's a lot of old people. Not really my scene normally, but let's bust that ass, man. Let's just go. Go as fast and hard as I can. Fuck them if they old. Fuck them if they old. I heard it might be a retirement community. So we'll see. But hey, if I got a bomb for 45 minutes and do five or six shows and I never come back to Fort Myers, Florida, whatever. My jokes work. They're good. These people are going to love them. You're going to love them. Shout out to Fort Myers, Florida. I'm not trying to shit on y'all at all. Check out the club there. It is the Comedy Cafe in Fort Myers, Florida. So that'll be fun, man. I'm going to go out there. Have a good time. If you live anywhere near there, check it out. Stay stay safe, guys. Um, I love you. Share this shit. If you enjoy the podcast, share it with someone. Uh, we're going to have a whole new rebranding, a whole new thing going on. Once we move to the comedy store, thank you guys for uh, for listening. Stay safe. Love you. Up next, uh, it's just going to be me talking about the crime in the Polish People's Republic, the PRL, from 1950 to 1990. It's a good one. And we got the researcher, Patrick, and he's Polish, so he's able to look up shit that we can't even see. Why? Because it's in Polish. Might as well be in an alien language. All right, guys. Love you. Check the pod next. Steve here. Bye. All right, everybody. We're back. Um, it's me popping a tall boy. What time is it? 1.30 on a Friday? Yeah, not the worst time. Timeline. 1947, the creation of the Polish People's Republic, a communist puppet state under the Soviet Union. Never a fan of them. 1950 to 1989, the smuggling goods between Poland and West East Germany begins. At first, artificial jewelry was in high demand, but the most valuable product was changing with time. In the years 1956-1960s, these were uh, cosmetics, lipsticks. Um, 1958 to the 66, there was a demand for wristwatches. In the years from 60 to 65, for textiles. In the early 70s, large-scale smuggling with electronic watches and mini calculators began. Alcohol and cigarettes were mostly smuggled by usage of barges on inland waterways. So, I mean, we just jumped ahead like 40 years, but we're going to go back into all that. Um, It's kind of interesting to see the things that were uh, popular back then, you know. I mean, imagine, I guess it makes sense. Imagine your whole country is going to uh, the shit house, and then you're fucking, you're like worried about lipsticks and wristwatches. I mean, remember how important a watch would be when you didn't have a phone. Like, you had to have it. Or you're just like looking at the sun, sticking a a, a a stick in the ground to see the shadows. I don't know. It's insane, though. That's not insane. Makes sense. And we got textiles. I f- it's, I, we should do a drinking game in this podcast. Each time you hear textiles, you have to uh, rail fentanyl. No, I'm kidding. That's the darkest thing I've ever said in my life. But you'd have to take a shot, or in the bigger shot, because they only say about once every podcast. But there is a thing with smuggling that always seems to come from textiles. All right, 1964. Misny, M-I-E-S-N-Y. In English, means meat. The Misny scandal. The Secret Service launches investigations into state-owned Warsaw branch of a company, Majik Handel Mishim. So M-I-E-J-S-K-I-E. I-H-A-N-D-E-L-M-I-E-S-E-M. Essentially, that translates to the Municipal Meat Trade Center. 
For years, employees of the MHM were stealing meat and selling it on the black market. The entire ring was uh, involved everyone from butchers to the meat sellers to MHM auditors. Over 400 people were arrested and put on trial, of which the leader of the ring, Stanislaw Wawrzewski, was charged and sentenced to death. Stanislaw Wawrzewski, W-A-W-R-Z-E-C-K-I. Like I said, Polish people love the end of the alphabet. They're like A's, never heard of them. Let's go with those (laughs) XYZ and W Elementos. God damn, though, how much fucking meat do you got to steal to be sentenced to death? How much? I mean, I guess if your country's falling apart and it's supposed to be communist, we're supposed to share everything and you're stealing it. That's the, that goes against the exact ideals of communism. Just like when we did those uh, serial Russian serial killer docs, uh, those guys d- doubted it all because to be a serial killer is a very capitalist way of looking at the world. And uh, true communists would never be serial killers. How much meat would you have to steal? I don't know for for me to be killed for me to be sentenced to death over probably a lot but for me to kill someone over depends how hungry I was you know think back to like the prairie times or like the wild west and if someone came and stole like three cows from your family I'd fucking kill someone for that no problem what would a meal worth dying over be let's say your favorite meal you know, let's just go, what would your last meal be? Personally, I don't know. That's a good question. I'd probably mix a lot of things. You know, I'd get some really insane sushi. I'd probably go Japanese, man. Because Japanese kind of encompasses all different kinds of food and makes it like the highest quality. Like I would do the fish. I don't want to die of feeling all full off like pasta. I want to die and look svelte, you know? People want to see my dead body in a coffin and be like, oh, man, man could have lost a couple pounds. I want them to see me and be like, that guy was jacked. <laughs> was he eating? Was he a pescatarian before he passed? Um, I'll probably, my last meal, I'm going sushi, big old sushi boat, some kind of uh, steak. What am I drinking? Definitely milkshakes, maybe multiple. Um, I, 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 when I used to work for a, uh, ice cream place, I had my own milkshake. Uh, they hated that I named it, but all my friends would come in and order the Steve Fury and then they f- flipping out. Like he doesn't have his own milkshake here, but it was a mixture of half, um, Oreo, uh, ice cream, chuck, uh, cookies and cream and half, uh, mint chip. <laughs> baby. So I would take a couple of those guys. Well, is anything else I truly love? Nah, it's pretty good for me, man. Maybe some tapas. Maybe I could have a little tapas as my last meal, you know? Some Brussels sprouts, some nice different things. Kind of get all in there, invite some friends over. I wonder if you can share the food with the inmate or, like, your officer. I wouldn't want to have my last meal and then eat alone, you know? Good question. Won't know the answer. February 2nd, 1965, the execution by hanging of Stanislaw Wawrzewski, the first and last execution of a person charged with a white-collar crime in Poland. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is going to might get me in trouble. I think we should start uh, executing people for white-collar crimes in America. 
because I'm looking at a lot of the stuff and I think we need to execute some of these people that are doing tax evasions and causing uh, our country to fall apart just for their own fucking gains. That's what I think. But I don't. But, but, you know, what do I know? The 1970s and 1980s, the range of smuggling goods increases. Now it's gold, food, pornography, works of art, including Western music and movies, and anti-government publications. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, that is my food period of anything I would need. Is there anything else you need? Food, gold, porn, art, and anti-government publications? My nipples are hard even just thinking about it. I love that, too. The 70s, 80s, that's that old-school porn. Remember that stuff? Remember jerking off to old-school porn? I was in the 90s, early 2000s. I still found it. Me and my friend, <laughs> I lived in a neighborhood with my friends, and we would skateboard all the time and go all over, and we never really left the neighborhood too much, but we ran Ran around constantly skateboards, just causing like small stuff, smoking a little weed here and there. But we all lived next to our um, K through 8th school that we all went through since we were kids. So we would go and we'd jump on the roof. And I remember one time we jumped on the roof and there was a <laughs> an erotic massage uh, book. Thick, thick book. Black and white and some lube and a bold bag of chips. So I was like, whatever this guy or person did had a really fucking good night. And either they got the erotic massage while eating chips on a roof, school roof, or they're just jerking off. But who jerks off with loop? That's very weird. It's very oily. It's not, not really cleaning up, you know. He just, he just gets off the... <laughs> He just gets off the roof. Someone sees him. They're like, what's all over your pants? He was like, oh, the chip's just oily. It is definitely not um, coconut-flavored lube. So me and my friends, once we found this book, we would go up there each uh, and jerk off. Not next to each other. But, um, you know, one guy would be like, hey, I think I'm going to go on the roof. <laughs> he would go, come back, a little bit tired. That's why. That's kind of how porn was when we were kids. You had to find it, and a lot of times it was in an old alley or like a like a hollowed out wood log in the forest. But then the internet came, and guess what? Got rid of those bad boys. 1971, Zalu, English means reservoir scandal. A group of officers working for the Ministry of Interior were arrested for stealing stolen money. The Ministry of the Interior was operating a big semi-official smuggling gang abroad. They were stealing foreign currency, gold, and other valuable things in Western countries using illegal means, robberies, heists, etc., then transferring it to Poland by rail or sea. So I'm going to stop this right now. My guy, Patrick, with the Y, he's Polish. He lives in Poland. So every time when I hear West, I think um, only America, but I think for these guys, they mean like Western Europe. So just remember that. The money was meant to be used for intelligent operations, but instead much of it was stolen again by the officers themselves. Sounds a little bit like Contra. 82 kilograms of gold, over 150,000 American dollars, and 5 million Polish Zoltis, Z-L-O-T-I-E-S, were retrieved and secured. It's unknown how much wasn't found. The entire scandal blew up on the official level, probably as a result of some power fighting within the ministry, intelligence department, and the government. 36 people arrested, but only nine of them got a prison sentence. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that they were the uh, lowest nine. Just look. I doubt the top guys went to jail. 
as they never do. A small special unit was created to gather and tell on smuggling to prevent scandals like Zelu. According to the reports in the 60s, mostly associated the professions mostly associated with smuggling were sailors, train operators, pilots, and members of the security service, the secret security. You know, what a government agency does creepy shit to fund their other creepy shit. Um, when's it the 70s? Sounding a really a lot like America. From all the shit that we fucked up in other people's countries. The late 1970s, the first auto gangs come into existence. There were local groups of 3 to 15 people who were stealing cars in Poland. The length of the operation viewed from a f- varied from a few months to four years, and the area of operation was limited to Poland. With time, they got more and more experience and started to specialize in different types of cars, started giving bribes to police officers and local officials. However, their organization, methods, and scale of operation stayed still on an amateurish basic level. And we're going to all go back into these things. You you guys know how it works. Interesting. You know, when people are hungry and they're not getting paid what they need to be paid, they end up doing shady shit. Right? Like, if you're you're not hungry, do you go to the store and think about stealing a candy bar? No. Am I saying every person should not be hungry? No. But I think, you know. And it's obviously that this government is failing them, and it's... Some shit's happening with our government right now, man. I don't think anyone on either side is happy. And I don't think it's a Biden thing. I don't think it's a Trump thing, even though, you know, I might have my opinion on both of them. I just think uh, something's got to happen. I suggest, this is my suggestion. We go, take all the Senate, all the governors, all the people in the president's cabinet. We murder all of them. Then we replace them with the people that were all their number twos. And now their number twos know that we don't fuck around with this shit anymore. So stop taking bribes. Stop filling your pockets and screwing over the American people. Stop um, trying, if you're a Republican, trying to help the 1% richest people in the fucking world and tricking poor white people into thinking you're on their side. If you're a Democrat, quick taking, saying that you're trying to help poor people out and trying to help all these people out and our fucking California looks like a shithole. Uh, there's homeless people everywhere. If you ever look on the Citizen app, if you have one of the, if you don't have one of those, check it out. I mean, if you enjoy the world falling apart, check it out. I don't know who's giving people machetes, these homeless people, but they're everywhere. But and then and then they're trying to help, you know, the Democrats. We're going to help the poor people. But then they're taking shit from bankers. Then they're taking PG&E, fucking Gavin Newsom's giving breaks to PG&E after they set half the state on fire. It's all broken. We need to fix it. And I think the only way to do it is to start from the, uh, the, the bottom. Start, start, start over. But also, I'm just a stupid stand-up comedian. So what the fuck did I know? So they're stealing stuff. Here's the thing. What have you guys stolen? What's the best thing you ever stole? Um, I went through a time in my life when I was in my late high school years where I was stealing a fair amount. I have never in my life stolen from a person, like a, a friend or a person's house or um, anything like that. I would never steal from a person. A company, I do not give a fuck. Now, if it's a small person's like, a, you know, someone's like, they've got a boutique uh, clothing store and shit like that. Yeah, you don't steal from them. But stealing from Target, Walmart? 
Burberry, Nike, fuck them. That's why when all those protests were happening in L.A. and people were going in and destroying a Target, I don't give a fuck. Target's been selling cheap shit for 20, 30 years. I don't care what happens to them. So what I used to do is I used to go to a store called Burberry, and I would uh, <laughs> I would steal stuff from there when I was a kid. This was, Jesus, 32, 15, probably about 15 years ago when I was my 17, 18 years old. What I would do is you would go to Nike, you'd buy, I'd buy a pair of socks, and I'd ask for their big, biggest bag. This was at an outlet, this Burberry was, so it's all kind of like in an enclosed outlet. If you don't know an outlet mall, it's a one-story large parking lot in the middle and around the parking lot there are a bunch of stores that uh normally nice stores that sell stuff that they weren't able to sell in their other stores for a discounted price so i'd go to nike i would get a pair of socks and ask them for the biggest bag and a lot of times when you go to it you ever go to a nice store and they give you a bag and it's like a fucking it's almost like a, a cardboard box things girthy so then and also i would dress um nice man you know like a lot of people what? <laughs> I see a lot of videos of like a guy stealing stuff and then he gets caught and the guy he all gets all beat up and everything. It's like, well, you're dressed like a thief. Why are you dressed like a thief? Here's an idea. If you don't want people to know you play football, don't walk around with a fucking football helmet on. So what I would do is I would walk around in seven jeans, flared out, rainbow flip-flops, pink polo. And then I would go into uh, Burberry, mainly Burberry, and I'd put the bag, you know, girthy. So when I say girthy, it stands up on its own. This isn't a plastic bag. This is one of those bags that, like, it's a square, a rectangle. And I'd put it under the uh, sale rack because the sale rack, they didn't have their little beeper things on them. Then you look through the clothes. You find the one you want. You put your bag under there, and you just pop it off, and it falls in the bag. Then you pick the bag up and you walk out. That was what I would uh, do all the time. What's the best thing I ever stole? Um, I have this. I have a couple insane sweaters, but, like, they're so big that I can't even wear them anymore. Is this a bad thing to do, what I did? No, I actually don't think so. I don't think so at all. Not even a tiny bit. I mean, they're selling, Burberry's selling a polo that you can buy. The quality's good, but it's not insane. They just put their little logo on it and a little piece of uh, plaid. They're selling for two, $300. They're stealing from people. I don't feel bad. I've never felt bad about anyone screwing over a large company. Unless the company was like something, a nice place. But no large company is normally nice. 1981, the Polish economy gets worse. The currency, the Polish Zloty, Z-L-O-T-Y, drastically drops in value. State channels of distribution are on the brink of collapse. So smuggling became one of the main sources of supply for many people. The number of Polish people traveling to Eastern communist countries significantly dropped while the number of Poles traveling to Western, Western Berlin, Berlin in Germany doubled. They were mostly going there to, to trade or work. Here's one thing I'd say about uh, communism. You know, if you think it's a good way of a government, I think you're dumb. It's never worked. Uh, socialism never works. I do think if you can mix, if you can, not, if you can there are places that do this if you can mix capitalism with socialism that would be the best way that's what i think america should do i think we should just start taxing the insanely rich and no i'm not talking about your uncle with a beach house i'm talking about the richest people in the world that aren't paying any of their taxes i think we should be able to tax them give a median median income to the poorest people allow us to start opening um not insane asylums but uh mental health wards for all these fucking insane drug addicts on the street 
And I think that would solve a lot of our problems. But the problem is the people at the super duper top don't want us to focus on them. So they tell us that you should be worried about what you should call this, what you should call that person. What what's these other problems? Oh, these people are trying to screw you over. It's like, no, the people that are trying to fuck us over are the richest people in the world. But maybe they're not. Maybe you're just a huge fan of them, even though they've never done anything to help you out. Yeah, you know, the communist countries, <laughs> it says that the numbers dropped. They weren't trying to go to Eastern, which was communist. So they started going to Western, which was not. Uh, I've never heard of anyone trying to go vacation in a communist country. So I don't know, you know. It doesn't seem fun at all. I mean, if you could show me a place that worked, you can tell me, but I, I don't see it. I mean, China is not working. It's not communist. It's capitalist communism where the people at the top may want to make sure that everyone at the bottom never has a chance to do anything. Authorities turned a blind eye to private small-scale smuggling. It is estimated that in 1981 alone, products in value of around $310 million were smuggled by the border. Real quick question. Uh, that small-scale smuggling? I should be in small-scale smuggling. Small scale smuggling. Small scale smuggling. Small, small scale smuggling. Say that three times. And then DM me, DM me if you could do it. Around $310 million. God damn. But I guess all those uh, Casio digital watches were really flipping, flipping birds over there. 1980s. The Gang of Nikos, a first Polish professional criminal organization of auto gangs known to historians so as we talk to those auto gangs the guys would steal cars that shit back in the day now as everything evolves you know you gotta you know that's we've seen the gang shit it starts and i mean look at the ap13 last week's armenian pri or power gang they had the one guy who was just kind of doing normal shit but once there's power once there's money involved people kick it up a notch 1980s, Poland becomes part of one of the main drug routes into Asia in Western Europe. Drugs get through country by ships and planes. It is estimated that only 10% of the drug smuggling operations were detected. I mean, a lot of times these drug organizations and smuggling places choose poorer countries because you can infiltrate the government that way. Makes sense to me. 1980s, more auto gangs switched from stealing Polish cars to stealing German, Belgian, French cars from the West. Their methods became more sophisticated, like we're going to go through a couple, two different ways of stealing cars. And I love it. Like the tank cap method, stealing the key locked cap for the car's fuel tank and forging the key as the same key usually opened the car door. Using the forged key, these thieves could steal the car whenever it was more convenient for them fucking genius so if you don't remember what this is this is the 80s okay so back in the day there would be a keyhole on your um gas tank and that was so people weren't siphoning your gas but the thing is if you can steal that little plate go copy the key that's inside there that key is the same exact key that starts the engine and opens the front door so now you'll see or kind of like in the 90s you see you have like a, a different key for each one so smart so smart. The other one is the insurance method. The whole theft was organized with the help of the victim who sold the car at a good price to Polish dealers. Then they took the car to Western Germany and the owner received compensations for reported theft. So, so far they're like selling a car for cheap to get money and then they say it's stolen so they get insurance and now they get the money and the insurance. Then the car was received by Polish couriers in Aachen, 
A-A-C-H-E-N, having already forged car documents. Upon coming to Poland, the car was forged documents, was registered at the town council by strawmen, uninvolved persons who act as owners in receipt of approximately 30,000 PLN for that service, so a small amount of money. That's allowed like a lot, but their money meant nothing back then. Next, after the necessary modifications in the car garage had been formed, the car was sold under a legal contract. Pretty smart on that one. That one's a little more difficult. I don't really 100% understand it, but essentially someone says someone goes this up, someone comes to you and says, "Hey man, I'll give you $7,000 for that car or you know, $3,000 for that car. You can report it stolen. You'll get a new car plus 3,000." The guy goes, "Okay." That guy takes it, kind of does it does it all over, goes to Poland, uh gets different car documents, comes back to a different city, uses some uh, guys that kind of work at the town council to say that this is a real car and is ready to be sold again. Then that guy can sell it for more. So he's making more money. Kind of, honestly, it's like who's getting hurt in that? The ta- the insurance companies and fuck them. 1981. The Wicks. D-Z-I-W-E-X. This means uh, bit checks scandal. Journalists reveal, journalists reveal that the Polish state-owned company, bro, this is the hardest word I have ever seen in my life. Three of them back then. So, Zednokzon, Przedsiębiorstwa, Rozwrzewuzykowi. Bro, I am not drunk. Let me spell these three words out to you. These words mean United Entertainment Companies. First word, Z-J-E-D-N-O-C-Z-O-N-E. Z-N-O-Z-O-N-E. Second word, P-R-Z-E-D-S-I-E-B-I-O-R-S-T-W-A. Z-W-I-B-O-R-S-W-A. Last word, R O Z R Y. W-K-O-W-E. Roswickwo, which means the United Entertainment Companies was a cooperating with Italian mafia. This is 1981. And sending hundreds of Polish young girls to work in Italian nightclubs and brothels. Brothels. So essentially, um, we're going to go back into this a little bit later. Um, but this was uh, human trafficking. Goddamn Polish. Polish words are fucking buck wild. April uh, to November in 1984, the Nikos gang steals at least 80 foreign cars and transports them to Poland within the span of a few months. That's the official figure. The true number might be even higher. They earned around 200 million PLN, so, you know, not that much in six months, around $17 million in 1984. So they definitely 80 foreign cars to $17 million. Uh, You'd have to steal... A lot to do that. So that's one of the gangs out there stealing shit. December 22nd, 1984, State Security Office launches investigation into Nikos gang, accusing the leader of stealing 198 pairs of jeans and 27 videotapes of total value of 1,125,000 PLN. Um, due to involvement of public officials, the Officers Protection Office launches a separate independent investigation code named Gruda into mass corruption within forces. Several people were arrested and charged, but the main leader, Nikos, managed to escape the country and find a refuge in Western Germany. I mean, what is more... I mean, this Eastern European Polish Russian than stealing 200 pairs of jeans <laughs> and seven videotapes. 
27 videotapes. Such a funny thing to do. All right, we're coming to the end before we start doing a deep dive into the scandals. 1985, the Zelazos. Iron in English scandal. Another scandal within the Ministry of the Interior associated with the intelligence operations abroad, similar to the Zalu, the meat scandal. This time it involved the highest Polish officers, including the Polish prime minister. After a few years long investigation, no one was officially charged and the entire scandal was swept under the rug. What? You're telling me that the most powerful people in that nation were able to steal from its people, steal from the government, and not get in trouble? Who would have thunk it? All right, let's do a deep dive into the meat scandal. After World War II and the Soviet occupation, Poland was turned into a communist state with central planning economy, meaning that private ventures and businesses were nationalized and the distributive goods from industry to shops was manually designed, including food production and trade. Each city had its own state-run meat trade center where all was managed on a local level. The economic system was struggling, redistribution uneven, and goods available lacking. So in the 50s, a black market for food, especially meat, was created. At first, people working in slaughterhouses were stealing food for themselves and friends, but soon it turned into lucrative, illegal business. Obviously, quickly, it was detected by bosses of local meat trade centers. However, instead of reporting it to law enforcement, they joined the illegal business to earn some good money on the side. I mean, people were broke. That's what you do. You know, you get money on the side. I can't... I'm not, I mean, it just makes sense to me. <laughs> like, people always, I don't, it, 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 it's why communism doesn't work, because everyone wants to eat. I mean, if communism could work, is if everyone actually was full and happy, but doesn't seem they ever are. So, butchers stole meat and documented as officially spoiled or for waste, and then it was transported to local meat shops where clerks sold it alongside illegally obtained meat. Profits were straight to pocket of the meat sage trainer who paid off butchers, clerks, and bribe auditors of the state trade union. The biggest ring was set up in capital city Warsaw, and the le leader, Stanislaw Warazewski, boss of the Warsaw Meat Trade Center. For over a decade, everything was fine and under control. All has changed in 1964 when someone sent an anonymous tip to prosecutor's office. A special police team was created to investigate into, as they called it, the Meat Mafia. Very quickly, the case became political. Investigators felt huge pressure from the government to deal with it as fast as possible. Many butchers were threatened during interrogations, some possibly even forced to make false statements. The government saw an opportunity to explain to the public why there are shortage of goods in shops. The narrative was shifted from it's the fault of central planning shortcomings to it's the damn meat mafia. Over 400 people were put on trial, including Stanislaw Warzyski. Most of them got a few years of prison for corruption and theft, but Stanislaw Warzyski was charged with the theft of social property, meaning state-owned, and sentenced to death as an exemplary case for propaganda purposes. I mean, it sounds to me like Stanislaw Warzyski took the fucking hang for all the other pieces of shit that, one, weren't operating the government well, two, were probably on the take. But that's the way it goes, fellas. I mean, was he a piece of shit for doing it? Yeah. Can I blame him? No. Human beings are human beings. They're all they're all gonna try to survive and have a little bit more food, a little bit more music, and God, I got a hair on my fucking face from this goddamn cat. To make themselves and their families better. Do I look down on people for doing that? Yeah. Do I think it's crazy? No. I think it makes sense. I think it's always makes sense. Because it always happens. The Gang of Nikos. The Gang of Nikos, Nikodem Skatraksik, 
N-I-K-O-D-E-M-S-K-O-T-A-R-C-Z-A-K. From the Tri-Cities is considered the first professional organized crime group from the 80s, known to historians. At the beginning, the gang was involved in a small-scale smuggling operations, but in the 80s, they changed specializations to car theft only. What makes them distinct from other auto gongs of the time is their active involvement in local police officers and other officials. Teduzis Jerzitzgak, T-A-D-E-U-S-Z-J-E-D-R-Z-E-J-C-Z-A-K. God damn, tudids. Tudids, boy, you coming with the, all the letters and no vowels. A citizen's militia officer was reported for legalizing and selling the cars in Poland. He cooperated closely with Major Waldemar Gruzinski, G-R-U-S-C-Z. Z-Y-N-S-K-I. I actually kind of got that one pretty good. The head of the criminal department of the MUSW, the Municipal Domestic Affairs Office in Ginzik, G-D-A-N-S-K. This operation meant that, as we can read in the operation files, Jezerdziek used some citizens, militia officers to import stolen cars in their names or to transport these cars from border crossing points. On December 2nd, 1989, the gang is charged and several members arrested. Nikos escapes to West Germany where he sets up another 40-member game called Golf Gang by German media. After stealing over 100 cars, the German police arrest him and put him on trail, eventually getting him behind bars for, what do you guys think? Life? They're going to kill him? The man was the head of these all these gangs. How much does he get? If you said one year and nine months, you are right. Man got nothing. Golf gang also. Who would have known Tyler the Creator was German? Not I. Not I, internet friends. Auto gangs and Yuma. By the 1980s, car theft was a super lucrative business. Basic formula was to steal a car in the West Germany, smuggle through the border, and legalize the car in Portland, then sell it. Kind of what they do pretty much everywhere. There was no problems with finding a buyer. As usually buying stolen cars involved much less bureaucracy and was much cheaper than doing it the legal way. The black market prices of the imported cars were between two point five and three thousand dollars. Luxury cars are normally up to five, while regular market prices were between ten and twenty five thousand dollars. The only obstacle was a law forbidding such transactions, but the car was becoming legalized after three years in possession of a new owner. So as long as no one asked any questions within the first three years of your purchase, you can enjoy your car without any worries. Obviously, rightful foreign owners had no chance of tracking their positions as soon as it moved across the border. I kind of like that. You know, if I got your shit and I stole it for three years and you can't find it, it becomes mine. I think it's a pretty good rule. If you get away with it for three years, I mean, okay, let's say I get a $5,000 car. It's normally 25000 I buy it off you. I stick it in my garage for three years. I come out, car's three years older, no miles. $20,000 less than it was. I'm in. You got me. That's a good rule. I like that rule. Calculations. Without pointing to the exact number of cars stolen, uh, but there was a calculation performed in May of 1989 by the deputy of the SUSW Investigation Department, Captain Miezikslaw, M-I-E-C-Z-Y-S-L-A-W, Chilwicks, C-H-Y-L-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. He claimed that 17 suspect people suspected of stealing cars from the West caused losses of 1 billion zloty, 
out of which 300 million PLN was reclaimed and goods worth 300 PLN were secured. While working on other major gangs, La Boot Gang, the investigators estimated that in Poland, mostly in Warsaw, at least 1,000 cars were stolen from capitalist countries and were registered. I also would say the reason they put these three-year rules in, all this kind of stuff, is because they're trying to fuck over capitalist countries. You know? Like, who gives a fuck if you're stealing from a capitalist country when I'm a communist? They don't. Makes sense. The business was not actually fought with by any national institution in the last years of communist Poland, and because of the Amnesty Act of 1989, it was never actually punished. In the western part of Poland, a new world was introduced to urban dictionary vocabulary, Yuma. Weirdly, American Western movies are super popular in Poland, especially among young people during the communist era. One of many cult classic movies was The 310 to Yuma from 1957. Fantastic movie. I even like the newer one. In Zylona Gora, Z-I-E-L-O-N-A-G-O-R-A city, there was a daily train scheduled at 310 to leave Western Germany. Many thieves were boarding the train, buying one-way tickets, and as soon as after arrival in Germany, they began to steal cars and bring them back to Poland by road. Hence, the act of car theft was named Yuma as a reference to the American Western many so many people liked. 10 out of 10. Fantastic. Love it. Love that. 310 to Yuma. Yuma. All that kind of stuff. Good movie to like. I used to love watching those old movies. You, ever, you remember when, like, before you had cable, there's like, that one station that would just play old-ass westerns? Yeah, I, would, I always liked those. My dad would watch them, and he'd just spend two hours watching this kind of western. 310 to Yuma was great. And the same one with uh, Russell Crowe, I think, was in the other one. It was great, too. Next up, the Cinque Cesare, C-I-N-K-C-I-A-R-Z-E. If you imagine a lone, shady dude in a long coat standing on a street dealing something and having their own territory and their own bot protection from the cops, you'd probably think a drug dealer. Well, not in Poland, at least not during the communist times. In Poland, these people were dealing money, literally. A free circulation of foreign notes and even possession was legally very strict, but the national currency, Zloty, was low in value, so common people wanted to invest in foreign notes anyway, just in case probably it happened there's a lot of turning to shit so essentially you'd go up to a guy on a street corner and be like i'll give you 50 zloty for one american dollar or i'll give you 200 zloty for a german peso whatever the fuck those people use so that's what this guy was doing a new illegal profession started to be a thing the sink zizarzi sink zizarzi C-I-N-K-C-I-A-R-Z-E. Already said it, but just say it again. People who could sell you dollars or German Deutschmarks, usually on much better interest rate than you could have at an official state-approved currency dealer. Very often they had some smuggled luxurious goods or banned like political stuff to sell as well. Remember what we said about the... I think I'm allergic to this fucking cat. Goddamn fucking cat. I do love this cat though so much. One of the biggest requirements for this job were contacts with smugglers, local gangsters, local prostitutes, and of course with local police officers who were often bought for protection. The business was very territorial. Smaller gangs of sinkziers had monopoly over their district streets where they operated. There weren't any serious wars or anything like that. People stayed kind of low profile. But obviously dealing dollars at your, not your street could end up in some violence or at least a beating. Corrupt law enforcement, secret service, and other officials were often very actively involved in the business or at least turning a blind eye to it. The government wasn't super eager to fight this problem either as they thought it actually supports the Polish economy even if considered a black market. The golden era of sink zeros ended in 1989 after the fall of communism as a private legal currency 
dealing businesses were open. Actually, many owners of these businesses were old, experienced Zeke series, and throughout the 90s and 2000s, currency dealing called Cantor nowadays, places were considered dodgy. I mean, a lot of these things, other than the car ones, well, the car one makes sense too, okay? So you got the meat. People want to fucking eat meat for a cheaper price and get more of it and make money. So they do that. Makes sense to me. Uh, a communist country is stealing a capitalist country's cars, reselling them in their own country because they have no money. Makes sense to me. These guys, uh, people are scared that whatever money they have in a bank, any money they have in Zlotties might be worth dog shit one day. So then they start trying to invest in other currency. Makes sense to me. Z- the Zalu or Zalazo, Z-A-L-E-W and Z-E-L-A-Z-O scandal, spies, criminals, and the officially sanctioned theft. The Secret Service, working under the Ministry of the Interior, didn't give a damn about the legality of their operations, especially in Western capitalist countries. The ministry was heavily underfunded, so officers and politicians came up with an idea of generating additional income by stealing foreign money and valuables. Uh, CIA, 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 it meant to be used for financing intelligence, but different people who were involved on this, on you know, varying levels, were secretly cutting the pie for themselves. Because people are just human beings and they all want stuff for themselves. The procedure was simple. Intelligence officers were trying to identify potential spy criminals among Polish diaspora in the West. Usually some petty criminals who escaped the law to countries like UK, France, and Germany and settled down there. With some money offers or blackmail. So the Secret Service would find kind of, uh, you know, people that ran away from Poland and then went to uh, capitalist countries like UK, France, and Germany and settled down there. And they would try to blackmail them by saying, we're going to fuck over your family here or we're going to try and get you if you don't start working for me and doing crime for the Polish government. At first, it was all about some low-profile robberies and break-ins. The money, gold, joys, and other valuables were then transported to Poland by different means. Polish ships, trains, trucks, many sailors, Border guards and train operators were involved. However, because nothing was official and wasn't documented very well, many officers seek the opportunity and decide to steal some other goods for themselves. People knew each other and started to cooperate. Stolen goods were hidden in some private communities' gardens near Zagrizi Reservoir. Z-E-G-R-Z-E. Um, hence the name of the first scandal. So, you know... Am I an apologist for criminals? Most of the time, I think so, yeah. I mean, not all of them, not like the crazy gangs and murdering families and stuff like this, but this stuff, it all seems like, uh, one, lazy government officials taking advantage of poor people. Two, poor people just trying to survive in a communist economy. Am I mad at them? So far, car shit made sense, everything else made sense. In 1971, the ring was revealed by investigators and over 30 people arrested. Only nine charged and sentenced. Once again, guessing, not the top guys. It's speculated that the scandal blew up publicly only because some power struggle within the party. The common knowledge was that everyone steals or does some shady business, including the highest officials. 82 kilos of gold, over 150 American, 150,000 American dollars and 5 million Polish lotties were retrieved and secured in total. However, at the exact same time as journalists and the public focused on the scandal, an even bigger theft was taking place behind the scenes. Other officers were taking charge of illegal operations abroad, and they didn't mind stealing for themselves, too. 
The crime committed in the Western countries were being even more serious. Bank heists, serious robberies, and at least two documented murders, one of a French policeman and the other of a Swiss banker. I'm fine with killing a banker. When Zalazo scandal was revealed in 1985, investigators secured over 100 kilograms of gold, mainly jewels, luxurious goods, and even found a few hundred shipping containers of silver. Once again, a few hundred ship containers full of silver. And that's only the stuff that was illegally claimed by the officers on the way, not the stuff that got inside the ministry's vault. So, essentially, the government's getting these criminals to steal stuff and then give them a cut. Their government officials are stealing some of that. And then when it's time to get in trouble, they give up a couple things. But there's probably a lot they're hiding. Right? Right? Miro Slaw Miluski. M-I-R-O-S-L-A-W-I-M, or no, M-I-R-O-S-L-A-W-M-I-L-E-W-S-K-I-E. The minister of the interior was charged and put on trial. During the interrogation, he claimed that literally everyone is stealing using the goods for different purposes, as bribes, as gifts, as payments, even as home decorations. <laughs> Imagine stealing like a fucking stuffed cat. He accused Prime Minister Edward Gerich, his wife, and a few other high-ranking members of, of taking some of the goods for themselves, too. Okay, I'm not going to jump ahead here, but I can guarantee you when you start putting the finger to people higher than you, it does not end well. Okay, guys? Because the people higher than you are fortified. People working for the administration the Ministry of the Interior were paying using stolen goods in a shop inside the ministry building. Despite a long independent investigations with gathered a lot of evidence, no one cared and no one was officially sentenced. However, Miroslaw Malowski and a few other people were fired. What did I tell you? I told you they're not going to get in trouble. I told you they're not going to keep going higher. They never go higher. Because the guy hiring is the guy getting the other guy is the other guy's boss. Just fucking human beings, man. They're just trying to look out for themselves. And in this one. I mean, this is like a weird CIA kind of scandal. This one I can't really get behind too much. It just looks like... I mean, that's what the, what the CIA did with uh, cocaine. They got cocaine from Noriega, sold it in L.A., used that money to, find, to fund uh, different operations. Last up, last but definitely not least, the Zwizik scandal, D-Z-I-W-E-X. In March 1981, Antenna. A-N-T-E-N-A magazine published an article about the results of journalist investigations into connected into a connection between state-owned those three crazy-ass words, remember, United Entertainment Companies and the Italian op- Mafia. They revealed a scheme. scheme. Young Polish wil- women, you know, normally nice-looking with blonde hair, were invited by the CPER to dance audition, after which they were promised a dance artistic career in international contracts. Then they were sent on an art contract to work for an art agency, Olivero and Thea Maglioli. Upon arrival, the passports were confiscated by mobsters who then forced them to work in some dodgy Italian nightclubs. Their role was to do consumption with patrons. What it means is that they needed to force a patron to spend as much money as possible on expensive alcohol by any means necessarily, basically by flirting and having extra paid sex with them. So they became prostitutes. A month after the article was published, two low-level Italian connections to Olivero Agency were arrested in Warsaw City, and the entire case got public attention. Police code named the case in a very unapologetic fashion, Zewix, which meant bit checks in English. 
New details were revealed as well. The girls were forbidden to leave and were severely punished for misbehaving. For example, by shooting their ears off using a handgun. Fuck. Imagine you're just in a nightclub and this super hot girl comes to talk to you and she has a fucking 357 hole in her fucking ear. For each girl hired, Polish scouts were getting 500 American dollars plus $3 per night each girl spent working. I mean, that's an investment right there. Wow. Wow. 300 cases were officially confirmed, but some speculated that the number might be even five times higher as many of them never came back to Poland again or were too ashamed of the experience. The investigators found out that this business brought Polish criminals over a million American dollars in total. Fuck that, dog. That shit got them way more than a million bucks. Okay, so this is the thing, right? I can't get behind this one. This is hot dog shit, human trafficking. All these people need to burn a fire. So essentially, you're a scout. You find a hot Polish chick. You look probably pretty hip and cool. You tell her you can hook her up with a modeling contract. I think that's what the art contracts were. It just didn't translate well. They, You get $500 back in 1981 and $3 per each night the girl spent working. So if you get like these girls every day, multiple of them, you're making a shit ton of money. The, investiga the investigation was very difficult, though. The victims didn't want to out themselves. Many were claiming that the business was completely legit and artistic in nature. Even some said they actually liked it out there. On top of that, the Italian embassy officials told one of the Polish journalists that the number of visa applications sent by young Polish girls drastically increased soon after the details of the scandal were published in the media. Probably they saw lavish media descriptions of Italian life in nightclubs very tempting. Some of the girls working as prostitutes were actually paid by mobsters or given luxurious clothes. Yeah, they're prostitutes. So, uh, I think that the Italian, um, you know, I'm Italian, man, but if you really look at it, they have been on the wrong side of everything throughout history. The other problem was the cooperation, or rather lack thereof, between Italian and Polish police. No extradition agreements were ever signed, and both sides were too eager to work together, weren't too eager to work together or share information. Moreover, spokesmen for Polish police at one conference even said that they simply don't have enough money to visit Italy and work on the case there. Italian media were bought off by the mafia and quickly stopped talking about the subject. Fuck. That's so sad. That's so fucking sad. Imagine, dude, if you're just being made to be a prostitute and you think you got to you think you're going to get out of there cuz you're reading fucking this weird ass magazine and you're like I'm going to get out of here and no one comes to get you. Jesus. Even more pathetic were the court hearings. The judge had, judge had a trouble of grasping the idea of consumption the girls were hired to do. The judge, nor any investigators on the case, never had the opportunity to see a nightclub in their lifetime and had no idea how this business even worked. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. All their information was coming from hearings of witnesses and the accused, which tried to fame consumption as a normal service, not prostitution. Despite being initially charged for human slavery, few Poles got a short sentence for illegal foreign currency dealings like that since Gazzari thing, and the Italian bosses were acquitted because they didn't even bother to show up to court where there was no ex extradition possible anyway. God damn. That brings us to 1990. So this is kind of laying the foundation for what's about to happen, man. So once again, shout out to uh, Patrick for this bad boy. It's got some good stuff in it. You can just see. <laughs> I mean, this is a country, folks. This is a country. That for 50 years, 40, 50 years, was plagued with crime in the highest parts of it and people getting off. 
wild stuff, man. Wild stuff. Well, guys, that was the episode this week. Um, thanks for checking it out. We'll be back next week with another one. Probably might roll up with the Polish number two. See where that goes. Thank you guys very much. Shout out to Patrick. Um, you know, if you guys want to help me out, share this with a friend. I just burped during that. Share it with a friend. Or, you know, comment. If you haven't commented, there's like, you know, a couple hundred of us in here. Three, five hundred, depending on the episode. Throw a comment up there, dog. Just do it for me. All right. Love you guys. Stay safe. Fuck fentanyl. Fuck the people putting in that. I hope they all die. I love you guys. Peace.